Thank you for listening to Tapping Into the Human, a podcast on addiction, recovery, and mental health, brought to you by The Albertus Project. By tapping into the human behind addiction and mental health, we can empower those suffering by creating a culture of empathy and support. Every week, you'll hear powerful stories from people about their journey with recovery and be inspired by individuals and organizations that are leading the charge in decreasing the stigma surrounding mental health and addiction. Hey guys, welcome back to today's episode of Tapping Into the Human. We are lucky enough to have on the podcast Nick, who is the founder of Transitions Bali, which is a recovery center in Bali, Indonesia. Nick isn't only the founder of a treatment center, but he has been on his own recovery journey for about 16 years now. His vision is to empower clients to be responsible and accountable for their recovery and their lives by creating a safe and supportive environment. So Nick, thank you so much for being on here today. Thank you very much for uh, inviting me. It's a, it's a pleasure and an honor. Thank, thank you. you. No, that, that's amazing. Um, so I've been doing uh, a lot of research about Transitions Bali, but for the audience who hasn't, can you give us an, a little bit of a snapshot of who you are and then what Transitions Bali is? Uh, okay, well, well, who I am, and, uh, and as you stated, I've been on my own uh, personal recovery journey and, uh, you know, had 25 years of, of active addiction and, and kind of everything that goes with that. And, uh, and for, for many years, you know, towards the last 10 years of my addiction, engaging in services and, and going into rehabilitation centers and, and into detoxes and, and believing that drugs were just the problem and all I had to do was stop using. And, mm. and, and I found when I, when I stopped using the substances, you know, that's when my problem started and I had no idea of how to live uh, a life of fulfillment w- without using in drinking drugs. So I had a lot of experience of I- engaging in statutory charity services in the UK, spending most of my adult life in and out of custody settings and kind of desperately wanting to stop, but not having the, the ability to do that. And then finally, surrendering and, 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 and in, you know, embarking on my own recovery journey, which it has been a journey. And, uh, and I have a 15 year career of working predominantly in UK prisons, uh, trying to show guys that there is another way to live. I was enmeshed in the criminal justice system for many years, not knowing that there was a, a way out and there was another way to live. I had no experience of, uh, of working, of paying taxes, of having driving licenses and passports. And, and these right. were the life skills that, that I had no idea right. of how to do. And I worked in charities in London. And so uh, I came to Asia and, and worked uh, in the rehabilitation field in Thailand. And I kind of thought about my personal experience of what worked and what didn't work. So. Transitions, as the the clues in the title, really, it, it's it is that transition from active addiction in, into recovery, and that's not solely about what we know. Well, I know that addiction isn't about a particular substance or a particular mm-hmm. process. That is often the solution, uh, not the problem. And when you when you when you take away that solution, be it process behaviors, substances, you kind of left with the problem. So transitions was created in order to 
provide a safe and structured environment in order to develop the life skills. And we learned that addiction predominantly affects all three parts of us as a human being, which is that mental, physical, and spiritual. So we've created something that really works on addressing the mental side of addiction and the destructive thinking and the distorted thinking, uh, the spiritual aspect, a lot of holistic work and trying to get, a, you know, addiction is about escapism for me. It was all about getting away from right here, right now. I couldn't right. bear to be present in my moment. So it's about how do we get right here, right now, practicing mindfulness and being present and getting a relationship with ourselves predominantly before we can start having relationships with with others. And obviously there's a, an emphasis on physical recovery and nutrition and diet and, and eating well. So right, like a holistic, kind of unique, yeah, it's a very holistic gestalt. It's the bigger picture. It's not just one part. Addiction affects many parts of us. And so Transitions was created in order to just create that buffer from, okay, the substances are down, but how do I live life? How do I have fun? How do I... It's sort of like learning new habits again. That That's sort of what I've been learning about. Like when I was... I'm a bunch, I'm, I'm a part of a bunch of different Facebook groups. And a lot of people are saying like, I'm just learning how to do very fundamental things. I'm 50 years old, but I'm having to relearn how to have fun without the use of substance, how to be present So what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And a lot of it was, it was about learning new life skills. Uh, but a lot of it for me was about unlearning patterns mm. of behavior and I had an inability to respond to life, really. Right. Uh, and I think the word in itself, responsibility, I'd lost the ability to respond. I mm -hmm. reacted to life all well the time. Very, most people in active are very self-centered and very self-seeking and predominantly very selfish. And uh, I, I kind of reacted on that. So I think, and, and transitions, like you said, is more about empowering clients to be responsible and accountable for their lives and their recovery. However, with the holding and the safety and the structure right. uh, of a program that, that we provide. And I think the driving force, what really underpins our DNA, if you like, is that, is that I'm really grateful that I, you know, I'm over 17 years in recovery, but I'm still really passionate Mm. about wanting to be part of people's journey. And we're not responsible for, I don't like the word failure or success, but we're just walking part of the journey with someone. And, <clears throat> and as we know, in the present climate, the last year or two, yeah. you know, there's been a global trauma. And I think addiction, substance misuse, you know, suicide, you know, has, has escalated beyond comparison during probably the most awful time in, in our history at the moment. So and you guys opened up in March, right? Of 2021, yeah. 2020. Yeah, we opened it. It was, it was a risk, I suppose, in, in, in some way. And, and what I identified as Bali in Indonesia specifically, it seemed to be what was missing because mm. Perhaps some of the guys listening to this, I don't know, my experience, I would go into a primary facility and I needed to be detoxed and separated from the substance 28 days or whatever, and then I'd just come out. And, and it was so extreme going from yeah. a very 
structured and monitored environment. I didn't have access to my phone. I didn't have access to any money. Right. Uh, it was normally tucked away, away from the city. And then suddenly I go from that back onto the streets of London. And it was such an extreme. I had no ability to manage that. Uh, and so it felt like that was the bit that was missing, the buffer in the middle uh, around that. And it, But I kind of thought that addiction seems to be escalating globally. People are turning to substances and right. process behaviours in order to manage uh, the trauma uh, of kind of what's been going on. So it was a bit of a risk. You know, we, we've had three clients have all successfully graduated and are doing really well. Indonesia's borders are closed again. So again, it's really difficult. But I've you know, I, I believe in, in, you know, I have a lot of faith in my life today where I was predominantly driven by fear mm. before. And I kind of know that it's going to be okay for whatever happens, because I think if you do the right things for the right reasons, and, and when I say successful, this isn't about, this is just about wanting to help people, basically. Right. Which and, to uh, me is like the most rewarding, successful thing I think anyone can do in their life is, is sort of give back and find purpose in that. And that, and that sort of leads me to my next question. Obviously, I, I am new to understanding it, this whole addiction space. It wasn't until one of my best friends passed away where I really was like, what is this? So I am six, seven months into this journey. But over the course of that, I've learned that sometimes, you know, people have to hit their rock bottom. You can't, you know, force help upon someone who isn't ready. So I know you said you were in and out of, you know, jail and rehab and whatever it may have been. What was sort of your awakening moment where you really wanted to change course? What was it a specific moment in time? Was it a bunch of events that led up to a moment? What was that like for you? I think we use the term and, and obviously you've heard that we, we use the term rock bottom quite a lot. And I think it's a, it's a very individual process, I think. And, and my experience of of, of, of addiction being an, an internal condition. Uh, and I didn't realize that, that it was a kind of spiritual condition, really. So the last 10 years I would, of my using, I think I experienced a lot of external rock bombs. So, you know, the, the consequences of active addiction and the the broken relationships, that the arrests, the car crashes, the stuff like that. And, and for me, I almost got, I wouldn't say comfortable, but, but it became mm. quite familiar being in With that lifestyle. And uh, yeah. something for me, it wasn't my worst experience. I think April the 9th, 2004, something internally snapped for mm. me. There was just a, an overwhelming sense of, of surrender, that, that it was over. And it came in the form of a, a feeling. I think my spirit was just broken. It was, it was kind of, I heard the term before, having engaged in services for, for many years uh, about this is an inside job. And, and what I learned is that irrespective of what was going on outside, of myself so i i misused substances and i drank and used you know when i had my family and children and a good job and a house i used drugs when i had nothing and i was homeless or i was in custody so it didn't matter what happened out there 
right. and what I've learned. And therefore, in recovery, it can't be contingent on what happens outside. Mm. So my experience of, of it was just a moment, I think, of clarity where, where I finally saw the truth. And for me, it was about surrendering and my inability to ask for help. And right. as you stated before, you know, I've tried to help you know, hundreds of people and, and there needs to be however small a desire to want to make those changes. And people extended and reached out to me and, and I had professional help for, from a young age. Uh, and it wasn't until I was completely ready to put my hands up and, and show, expose that vulnerability and ask right. for help and say, you know, can you help me? Uh, and I'm extremely grateful that that happened. And and um, so many, you know, people's rock bottoms, I suppose, is, is, is a very individual journey and it may be emotional, it might be financial. Um, for me, there was something internally that after years, you know, addiction, you know, I've learned that, you know, on someone's journey, be it substances or behaviours, there's, there's kind of use and there's misuse and then there's abuse and mm. then you cross a line somewhere on my journey, I'd crossed the line. It stopped being fun. It started becoming very lonely, very desperate. <clears throat> the behaviours I was exhibiting in order to get my addictive needs met and causing a lot of damage to myself. Uh, when I first engaged in services, I had my wife and children and job. You know, when I finally surrendered, that had all gone. So that was my sort of rock bottom. It doesn't have to be that for everyone. Uh, and so for me, it was more of a spiritual collapse. I mean, I, I just kind of found myself uh, able to ask for help for the first time in my life. And I think a lot of stigma around addiction and, and people believing that, well, they choose to use drugs, therefore they have to, you know, experience the consequences right. of that. And they're inherently bad people and we lock them up because they're a, a bane on society and they're the pariah of society. And we just, you know, I've done a lot, my personal experience of spending many years in prisons and then 10 years of my career work, working in prisons is that the criminal justice system with addiction are just locking up the problem hmm. and then releasing the problem. Right. Creating well, more victims right. and things changing. And this is a health problem, not a judicial problem. Right, it's not a judicial problem. No, right. 100%. Yeah, I believed inherently that I was a bad person. So I desperately tried to become a good person. Hmm. And what I learned is that actually I'm, I'm a sick person trying to get well. Right. I'm not a bad person trying to be good. Right. But people's perception of addiction, because the behaviours often exhibited of, 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 of crime and destruction, and you know what I mean? So people's distorted perception of people that suffer with addiction are inherently bad people and that we should lock them away. And actually, we need to treat. Right. It's a, it's a health issue, not a, not a judicial issue. And, and Absolutely. Exactly what you're saying is what I found is so immense the stigma i think you know I, I hate to say it but i think the average person like me before all this didn't think twice about addiction and when they did had negative associations negative connotations had a lot of what you were saying and i think that stigma is just a lack of empathy a lack yeah. of education 
And it's interesting, you said a lot of your work was in prisons. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, I was part of a charity that provided drug treatment in, in UK prisons and still do, and still do. It's a phenomenal um, charity that really helps, not so much, well, predominantly when, when the guys and girls are, are in custody, but more through the great, through, through the gate services. So they kind of do well in custody and then they come out homelessness, no jobs. Right. There's, there's no gap. There's, there's like a big gap, no yeah. Right. There's no through the gate. And so what people, what I tended to do is kind of go back to what I know, really. So, I mean, I got to the stage of my life of, of finally surrendering and, and, and getting clean and being able to stay abstinent uh, for a period of time. I'd had no work history and I kind of got to a point where I thought, what would I love to do? And Obviously, my personal experience of being in and out of prisons from, from the age of 14 to 35 and, and being in addiction, it, it was a natural choice for me to want to go back. And, uh, you know, I re-educated myself. Uh, I went through college. I got my counselling diploma and started volunteering. That was a big thing for me, uh, kind of giving back. And I was going to a particular prison every week and uh, just found my real passion. Uh, within that and, and we provided a six month treatment program and then it was the follow through about when guys getting out helping them get back into employment helping them get back into housing and, and getting some structure and purpose I think you touched on it I think the I don't know the for me the purpose of life is to have a life of purpose and go. something of meaning and and fulfillment and uh, you know, the last years of my there was there was I think the worst thing was was hopelessness. And when you've been in and out of prison all your life, and there's not even a tunnel, let alone a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Uh, I, I suppose the loneliness and that just drives for more uh, addiction. So you know, I kind of worked my way up to treatment manager and service manager, uh, and, and managing a couple of prisons in London, and and I love that work. But again, policy, lack of funding, and, and a lot of the programs kind of got, got stopped because the government, Ministry of Justice and that wouldn't fund. Um, it became financial and it became very bureaucracy and paperwork and, uh, and stuff like that. And I think it lost some of its essence. And uh, my experience again, of working with the guys in prisons is, is no one actually sat down and listened to me because mm. I was always told to go away. And these guys that, that are in prisons, kind of people, the stigma or the powers that be believe that they haven't got a voice, they haven't got an opinion, uh, inherently bad people. And you said that complete lack of empathy to yeah. just sit down and hear someone was was really important to me to be honest with you so the, uh, i'm really passionate i still do voluntary work uh, they stopped at the moment in COVID, but uh Corabocum prison in bali is quite a notorious prison and the conditions are horrific and the the, the crystal meth that's being used and abused in the prison in bali really? so, so we go in wow. uh, every week and try and sit down and, and give some counseling and try and talk to the guys oh, that's that, amazing. Are, uh, that are in prisons. But obviously because of COVID, no one's going into the prisons, but 
<laughs> a lot of my personal life is going into prisons in the UK. Uh, I'm really passionate about that. That, that, that for me was my personal journey. And uh, so, yeah, hopefully we can get back in there. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and while we're on this topic, something that I think is, is interesting that I've been learning about, um, and it, it's sort of controversial, I've heard two sides of the story, right, where I've been learning how important it is not to have punitive action. It's not a judicial problem, it's a health problem, but I've also heard many folks in recovery say, no, all, all your son needs, all your daughter needs is to be thrown into jail where they don't have access to all this stuff. And that's the only, like, that's a really effective way of getting clean, quote unquote. What is sort of your take on that? Because I, I understand just to a certain extent, these people saying, okay, you know, they're going to kill themselves if they keep on doing it. But as we were talking about, uh, and this is why sometimes rehab could be ineffective is people go in and there's a huge gap because they don't have any sort of outpatient treatment and they're thrown into the real world. So what are your thoughts on people who are like, sometimes punitive action works? Okay, so, so the reality is that we, we have uh, laws in, in different countries and people in active addiction often committing crimes to get their addictive needs met. And, and, and there needs to be, uh, I don't like the word punishment, but there needs to be a consequence. So if I go and steal something of someone else, there needs to be a consequence. So my crime, I, perhaps I do need to be taken out of society because I'm a danger uh to my immediate community or, or or to my family and so i'm taken out of society and out of the environment and my point is that there is a consequence there but it's about what we do mm. while someone is incarcerated and this isn't about punishment it's about education it's right. about rehabilitation <clears throat> it's about treating the condition and it's about support coming out of that institution. So I understand there's laws of our lands in Canada, in London. If I break the law, then there needs to be a consequence. Absolutely. But it's about how that process is facilitated. And, and it's about trying to help and support. Otherwise, as I said earlier, you're just going to put the problem in a cell for five years and then yeah. you're going to release the problem yeah. and you're going to create more victims of crime and it's just going to keep progressing. So I understand that there does need to be a judicial process. Mm -hmm. uh, in the UK, again, there was a period of time when they were looking more at sending people to treatment centres and rehabilitation centres. But about providing that process within a, uh, a custody setting, uh, I think is is paramount, but again, stigma, government policy, lack of funding, treating addiction in the present climate is at the bottom of most governments. Yeah. But what they yeah. don't realise, it's a false economy, because what you'd invest in trying to provide a treatment programme for someone in prison is far going to outweigh the cost of someone coming out and committing more crimes and creating victims 100%. and the cost to the policing, putting through people through courts. Healthcare issues, yeah. You know what I mean? So try invest in this stage of it. It's gonna save money further down the line uh, around that stuff. Most people's general opinion, and I would, I would hazard a guess that 
99% of this global population has experienced someone, a friend or a family member that has experienced substance misuse or, or, or addictive behaviours and, and, and being part of that. I think it is slowly changing. People, there's two very good arguments, I suppose. You've got the choice argument and you've got the disease argument. And the choice argument can hold up, I suppose, on some level. Again, you're choosing, you know, as a 14-year-old as a kid, I didn't set out on a career path to become a crack and heroin addict. That wasn't my career choice, uh, if you like. But the choice argument is that you are choosing. Uh, and I like to see it as probably a disease of choice, actually. Mm. And it might start off of, uh, 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 as a choice, but I didn't realise that addiction predominantly centred in the spiritual aspect of us, right. in self-centeredness in low self-esteem, in fear and anxiety. And as we know, Gabor Mata is a big uh, advocator of, of, of uh, addiction, you know, on some level, uh, is, is in, involved with trauma at whatever stage uh, of someone's life. Anyway, so where addiction comes from is, is another debate, really. Uh, the point is our society at the moment, in most cities across the world, especially in the present climate, people are turning to substances and, and addiction is escalating. And, and there seems to be a, a lack of wanting to look at this as a health issue. Yeah. Uh, and again, focusing more on a punitive. Uh, I was punished all my life. Uh, and I understand I, I, you know, I, I broke the laws of our land and there needed to be a consequence, but just being put in a cell for years upon years, uh, and no one bothering just to talk to me and and, and asking, you know, how I felt yeah, or what was going on. Yeah. Uh, there, I was always told aspect. what to do. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, there's just a connection, do. human aspect that I I have now realized is just such such the missing piece, right? Like when you know, I I'd equated to God forbid someone is diagnosed with cancer, the community rallies around that person. They are not any less of a person because of that diagnosis, because of the disease, Absolutely. but it, it is not translated to addiction. Honestly, even mental health at large, but that is sort of the missing piece. And I, I think you raise a good, a fantastic point. And, you know, I think the lack of education is a huge contributing factor and people not using statistics and real facts to realize, you know, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts, like in any of the jail systems that you were in, I assume at certain points you were in active addiction, were there doctors equipped to be able to help you through the withdrawal process? Because I see that as a huge gap right now. Yeah. I mean, there is more now, uh, in, in but most of my, you know, in the late 70s through the 80s and the early 90s, uh, I would come into a, a custody setting and go through the processing bit and just put in a cell and, and left to withdraw, wow. really. Uh, there was no medical support. There was no clinical support. I think now there's more and more, I mean, it's another debate really around uh, substitute medication and methadone and subutex. And, yeah. and so there is now 
uh, an assessment process. Uh, and again, I think there is a place for, you know, opiate substitute medication as a short-term pathway to abstinence. But my experience lately is, is guys in prisons would, would, would be supported detoxing and then retoxed before they get released and put back on methadone scripts before uh, going back into the community, which is insane from, from where I'm sitting. So there is a lot more support now. Uh, there is a lot of services and charities going into prisons in the UK. I don't know what it's like uh, in Canada. So we, we have progressed. There still needs to be more. There needs to be more funding. There needs to be more education. There needs to be more... <clears throat> understanding around uh, uh, addiction and, and the treatment of that as well. Right. <clears throat> it's not just about putting a plaster on it and, and topping someone up with methadone uh, because methadone is cost effective. It looks like local authorities are addressing drug treatment and... Uh, but you don't and think that's a long-term solution? Like absolutely not. Absolutely Interesting, and, and why, why so? I, I'm curious because you know it, it's really cool. Um, like any other community, there's you know all this debate, and you know I've been interviewing people of late who you know have been on it for 15, 20 years, methadone, suboxone, whatever it might be. Um, why do you think it might not be as an effective sort of long-term solution? Because ultimately, what methadone is it is a heroin substitute. So that you're still using a mood altering substance on a daily basis. You're still needing to take something in order to function in the world. So there's there's no ability to connect with any emotional uh, part of yourself. There's no, you know, you're just medicated uh, all the time. And so uh, there is a place for it in order to get someone from their you know, to, to, to support them being separated from right. uh, the solution, but they're still needing to take something and you're just putting it, because the problem isn't the substance. That's not the problem. Drink and drugs behaviors are that are 5%. They're a symptom uh, of addiction. Addiction right. centers more, like I said, with that chronic lack of self-esteem, crippled mm -hmm. with self-centered fear, anxiety, misery, depression, a feeling of being useless, uh, emptiness, hopelessness. And so I see people just years on methadone, just kind of not able to engage. Addiction is about separation from myself and separation from others. And recovery is about connecting. I need to connect with myself. Methadone in itself is a substance that when I detox off methadone, that was worse than any heroin withdrawal I've ever really? been through in my life. Really? It gets in your marriage. It took me months and months and months to withdraw from methadone that was given to me by the government every day just to keep me stable. 99% of addicts don't want to get stable. You know, I'm not going to say to you, come on, let's go out and get really stable tonight. So most are using on top of their methadone scripts and they're not able to engage in any, mean, in any meaningful activities uh, or work. So statistically, it looks like methadone works, Subutex works, but, uh, 
you know, I think the, the, the solution is being able to connect with myself and develop mm -hmm. a relationship with myself. I'm unable to do that when I'm on methadone. And, you know, statistically, you know, someone might, it might keep someone stable and prevent them from committing crime in the community. But I don't think it's a long-term solution. It's a no, short-term fix. You're putting a plaster on it, but the problem isn't the substance. Mm. It's sort of the inner work that needs to be done. No, no, I understand Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Understood. Absolutely. So uh, it's about getting to the core of uh, addiction and seeing the person, really. Uh, I didn't realize that, the, you know, and people, you know, people that are listening to this may not. You know, as we know, we're made up of a mental part of ourselves. We have a brain, we have a thinking, a thought process. We have a physical part of ourselves and arms and legs and bones. And then there's this part of myself that I wasn't aware of. And you mentioned the word awakening earlier. So there was, there was something within me, the spiritual aspects, soul, morals, uh, that, that I wasn't aware of, that I'd mm. never really connected with. And I think putting down the substances uh, and starting to build a little bit of self-esteem and a little bit of self-worth, starting to develop a relation with, a relationship with myself because I, I couldn't separate my behaviours from myself. So looking back over my life, there was a narrative and there was a script that I inherently believed that I was a bad person. So when I look back over my life through therapy and through, through working programs, I just kept reconfirming that script or that message, you know, expelled from school, committed crime, using drugs, scenic, you're just a bad person, you're just a bad. So, and everyone kept telling me that you're a bad person. Right, right. Parents, what else are you supposed to think when everyone says that and you keep on reinforcing yeah. in your own brain? Uh, you know, looking back, and I rarely talk about my childhood, but events happen, yeah, to all of us. Uh, events happen which create messages, which for me turned into fundamental beliefs, core beliefs about how I saw myself and how I saw the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I never felt that I fitted in. There was that sense of being an outsider looking in, uh, for whatever reason, my needs weren't met from my primary caregivers. And so from a young age, I started looking outside myself, desperately seeking external approval. Right, and uh, <clears throat> I found, not consciously, but behaving in a negative way, got me seen and heard. I got some attention. Mm -hmm. Hi, I'm over here. And then uh, being constantly told to go away. You know, my parents get out of my home, school, get out of my school, friends get out. So being constantly told to go away, not being listened to, being told that you're a naughty boy, you're a bad person. And if you're told that enough and you start, in, you know, you, you end up believing that inherently I'm a, 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 a bad person sort of thing. So I found it hard to separate myself from my behaviours and I'm not my behaviours, do you know what I mean? So, for sure, for uh, sure. And so... Piling substances on top of that, sort of suppressing all those negative uh, emotions and having a really inability to feel. And again, methadone and heroin, you know, I heard this early on. You know, I love the way that heroin makes me feel, 
And I love the way that heroin doesn't make me feel. Mm. So, I, you know, I had an inability to, to I was just numbing my feelings. And right, I suppose, right. again, separating from the substance, from methadone, from heroin, from cocaine, whatever the substance is, and trying to identify and connect with some emotions that I'd been suppressing for years. And they kind of say that you kind of go back emotionally to when you first started suppressing those feelings. So as a 40-year-old man, I'm starting to, you know, express feelings that I had as a teenager. Um, and so moving away from that narrative, you know, people need to sit down and actually listen to what people have to say and hear people's opinion instead of just put telling them that they're bad people and telling them to go away. So a, a lot of what we do at Transitions and what I did was just to sit down and listen. Sometimes that's the most important thing. Do, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Uh, no, it. people just want to be, be, at the end of the day, we're all human. We just, we want to be heard. And, and I can only imagine when you're told you're a bad person, you can't do this, you, you know, you're sort of trying to rebuild yourself and figure out who you are and you're getting all these negative thoughts thrown at you that for mm -hmm. sure affects how you believe that you are. So I think, think you raise an excellent point there. Um, I was going to say on the last sort of thought uh, of this podcast, I always ask my guests, what are your words of wisdom for the audience? So what are your words of wisdom that you want to leave the audience with today? My words of wisdom, so uh, I, th I think my experience, I think if anyone's listening to this, it, it really is about asking for help, really. But I had this arrogance and ego and this self-centered fear that if I told you how I really felt, and if I told you who I really was, you'd tell me to go away. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, what you guys are doing are fantastic. There is help out there. There is people that understand. There is support out there. Uh, and if anyone's listening to this and their family member or themselves are struggling with, with mental health issues, you know, you don't have to suffer in silence. And I think it really is about asking for help. You know, reach out, ask for help, because uh, it is out there now. And, and, and the stigma, I hope, is, is getting reduced. So... Uh, not about words of wisdom, really. Uh, yeah, I think it took me a long time to sort of be desperate enough to say, can you help me? I think that's one of the hardest things for addicts um, to get to that place where they, they ask for help, really. So, and, and what you guys are doing is, is, is absolutely phenomenal and trying to educate people and getting people on to just share their experience and hopefully someone listening will identify or relate to just kind of being lost, you know, lonely, lost, misunderstood, no one listening to you, you know, ask for help and, uh, and I'm sure it will be there. So. Thank you, Nick. And thank you for the words of wisdom. I really appreciate all your time. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. By tapping into the human behind addiction and mental health, we can empower those suffering by creating a culture of empathy and support. You can find more episodes of Tapping Into the Human and resources about addiction and mental health by following the Albertus Project on social media at Albertus Project and at www.albertusproject.org. Thank you.